everybody and welcome to the Thinkerist podcast. Uh, I've been doing some thinking recently, uh, although my wife would tell you different. I was positing that the, the best way for me to work through some of the questions I have would be to say them out loud and listen to them and let other people listen to them and hopefully hopefully they will join in the conversation, join in the thought process and become thinkerists all of their own. Just of late I've been spending quite a lot of time listening to Jordan Peterson Douglas Murray, even Sargon of a Card, Dave Rubin, uh, to mention a few, uh, although I do try and get onto the other side of the aisle with the Young Turks and other people like that. I just feel like there's a few positions in the debate that are rarely raised, or if they are raised, are sort of throwaway comments. Especially when it comes to the left and uh, feminism and things like that, I think we might be able to unpack a little bit more. So if I jump in, um, the one that's been bugging me the most is the idea of the systemic oppression and whether that be of women, of ethnic minorities. There's absolutely no doubt that historically both of these groups were oppressed in some way, although I'm not necessarily convinced of that when it comes to um, women. I don't think that they were ever oppressed in the way that the current wave of feminism would like like to have you believe. One of the more interesting sort of views on the topic that I've seen recently was, um, or heard recently, was uh, a podcast where someone said the men would go to the fields, they'd go to the farms, they'd work on the, uh, in the mines and on the factories and in the ships go to wars and then they'd come home and their wives the oppressed would be given all of the money required for the house to last them the week or the month and basically the, the man would hand over his wage packet to the wife who looked after the house and she would give him back X amount of pocket money and that struck a chord with me because I'd like to know who the oppressed one is in that. In that, is it the woman who gets to be at home in the warm, looking after children, and is cooking dinners and doing all the things that they were doing back then, or was it the man who was stooping for a quarter of a mile just to get to work? down a mine, filling the lungs up with black dust.
dust shifting 17 tons of coal and stone. I'm not convinced that the existing narrative there
and I've been on the reasonably well off end. I do understand that people prefer the other end. It makes a lot of sense. Certainly from my point of view it did. But I, I get the sense Somebody else is paying for 
two-way arrow. One pointing down and one pointing up. You push the minimum wage up, you pull a lot of other wages down because the things cost more to make so the companies make less profit. survive on or 
back then, smoke a pack of cigarettes a day or every five days even. It was just, there was no way to live that way. So you worked, and you worked 45, 50 hours a week. And that way your £1.50 became 60 or 70 pounds a week, if you include tips. And that's how I survived. But if the welfare state, if the welfare had been 50 pounds, I wouldn't have bothered going out for 20. I'll go out for another 50, but going out to work for 50 hours a week for the difference of 20 quid, where I could stay home and watch this morning with my feet up, I... It doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but, you know, again, tell me I'm wrong. These days, it's exactly the same, it's just the numbers are bigger. But the average wage hasn't shot up over the past few years yet somehow the welfare payments have yeah. the screams that went up when people weren't allowed more than £28,000 a year or the exact, I can't remember the exact figure I thought were incredible because that's not taxed so it's the equivalent of like 35, 40,000 a year nearly. That's a huge amount of money. That's serious middle class territory for money. And I understand why they kept it. It makes a lot of sense. And if you can't live on 28,000 pounds cash, you know, the equivalent of a 35 to 40,000 pound salary where you live then you should be encouraged to move I think and if not encouraged, forced I, you know, there are cheaper places to live obviously, there has to be other people live there if you, I yeah, I again, this is an argument I understand from both sides, I think want to live near a support network and their families and their parents but there can only be so much that the government can pay but the taxpayer can pay yeah. the top 20% of earners pay 80% of the taxes or something along those lines and I think that they have a right to be slightly annoyed if that's going on. If I earn £100,000 a year, I don't, but if I did, I pay nearly £40,000 in tax. Maybe over that, I can't quite do the maths in my head. Welcome to the Stream of Consciousness podcast. But let's say it is, say it's £40,000 in tax. That should be able to keep at least four people starving. Instead it would go to one family of four because they live in Islington and don't want to move. So I do understand the... I, I, I completely
high rate of tax when they see where it goes. And I can't say I blame them. It's, a, it's, it's an interesting one, and I'm hoping that some of these podcasts might be a little lighter, but these are the questions that have been bugging me for a while, and I think that we don't ask these questions, if we don't have a step back and look at the problem, all we're going to keep doing is keep adding to the debt, because there isn't, it isn't possible to have a tax bill big enough to pay for everything. I think if you taxed every penny that everyone earns over £50,000 earned over that, you still wouldn't cover the costs, and that's a problem. Of course, there's the chorus that follows from there, which is that the the big corporates should pay more, but they don't really break rules. So if the rules are wrong, then we need to elect people to change them. But we want the things they make. The only reason that Apple can make an iPhone that I can afford is because they can make it in China design it in California, tax exempt themselves somewhere in the Caymans or Ireland or wherever it is their tax base is. These things cost huge amounts of money. It's the same with the pharmaceutical industry. You know. Yes, most drugs don't cost that much to manufacture. 25, 30 pence, maybe a pound per pill if it's a really expensive one. But the first one they made, the first one cost 500 million pounds. So they're not going to give away money. Because for every hit they have, I don't know what the development cost of a new iPhone is, but it must be in the hundreds of millions. For every hit they have, they must have failures. They must have things that just don't work. You throw 10 million pounds in the bin. All the people that are working on those things, they all pay income tax. And the person they pay the income tax to, you know, gets washed and washed and washed, doesn't it? It goes, you know, into the treasury, out to a consumer, or out to someone who's on welfare. And then what happens? They go to a shop and spend it. The shop pays corporation tax and VAT. That money that's remaining goes to pay the supplier who pays corporation tax and obviously all the tax for their workers. I'd love to know if someone's done the calculation and please do put it in the comments if you have of how much money in the economy is untaxed how much is left after all the tax is done? I don't think it's very much. I think it's a Ponzi scheme. I think things are taxed and then they're taxed again. Then it gets pushed down and then it's taxed again. And then it's washed around again and it's taxed again. To the point where, you know, 10% maybe is actual 
money for goods rather than money that then goes to the tax man down some other re some other path down the road. It feels like a massive money laundering operation to me. But in order for the, that to stop, there has to be one cog in that machine, just one, somewhere, that doesn't pay it. It has to. It has to be one cog that doesn't pay tax. Because then, it can't be washed out from there. And it should be the poorest. It should be able to claim VAT back on anything they purchase. It's being paid out of tax anyway. They should be able to... I don't know. Uh, uh, again, smarter people than me will hear this. I'm only thinking out loud. I'm, it's been a very long day. But if anyone who earned under the taxable threshold was able to claim back all the tax they paid, stop the washing and it would hopefully save not just them it would save more than it would cost because the number of people required in places like Whitehall HMRC to to wash this money if you followed a pound you know go round and round and round and round and round so many times Every time it costs money with people processing paperwork or systems, whatever, there has to be, I don't know, it feels like there just has to be a something in there. Maybe that's a, a way forward. No one pays income tax under 10000 Sorry, that was the cut. I can't think of a single reason why somebody who doesn't pay income tax should pay VAT or fuel duty. If they didn't have to pay fuel duty, then their trips to work would cost them a quarter and they could afford to buy more food. That would mean we could actually bring the welfare bill down by a considerable margin.
beyond the wit of man or woman or other to put together a computer system that can just read an ID card say, okay, you don't pay tax, you do. And then we'd actually get the real cost of things. My sense is that the cost would come down overall. Maybe. Take. 
because it's coming out of tax anyway. So why don't we? Just advertise it at one salary and don't go to the hassle. The enormous must be hassle of paying tax. Charging and working out and sending letters twice a year to everyone who works for the civil service about their tax. They didn't pay it, you couldn't have any problems. Granted, if they earn money elsewhere, they'd have to pay tax, but that's not, that's not many of them, I wouldn't think. If you look at the bulk, I mean, if it's, what is it, one and a half million we said earlier? If it's 20,000 of those who have a second job, I'd be surprised. Maybe slightly more than that. But it can't be loads more. So what would it be?
dash for equality. We're in danger. In a very minor way for now, but we'll see as it grows. Of tipping the balance the other way. So giving the woman the promotion. Even if the man deserves the same or more. Because equality. And I'm not sure that's right. There has to be for I guess for capitalism to work at all, it has to be a pure meritocracy. You know. And
broad brush average. We go around and crawl around in sewers all day under cars, getting dirty. Women don't generally. Secretarial, nursing, working, teaching. The things that women seem to gravitate more towards. I'm not saying completely. No, no rule is complete. It's not a hard and fast rule, but generally speaking. And the man generally just hands over his paycheck at the end of the week. And the woman cooks dinner, goes out to the shops, buys things, looks after themselves, looks after the family. I don't see an oppressor oppressed narrative there. I don't see a dichotomy of Stronger than the men. 
want to carry on working, so they pay a nanny, subsidise a little bit, but then you, know, you break even towards the end. But the bit that's potentially not taken into account there is the wage compression. So, you know, scarcity drives up the price. And when all the women went into the workplace, the workforce doubled and the wages haven't gone up since. In real terms anyway, not much. Because why would you have to? People for the longest time had way more money than they needed because you had two people working in a house that only costs as much as one person could pay for. slowly over 40 or 50 years since the house prices have crept up and up and up because people could afford a bit more and a bit more and a bit more because women are working women are earning more people can afford a bit more supply and demand kicks in all of a sudden an average three-bedroom house costs three hundred thousand pounds and now no individual person can afford it straight out of school for their 50. We end up with the housing problem we have now. Now there's a demand side, but there's also a supply side to that, which is that we should have built more houses. But from a developer's point of view, why would you build more houses when you can do less work and charge more? I'd do that. It makes perfect sense to me. I've only got to pay guys to build a hundred houses a year, but you know, <laughs> I can charge as much as I would for a thousand houses. I'm doing that. It's good for my bottom line.
stopping us, maybe growing a little bit slower, maybe advancing a little bit slower. And I'm a tech guy, I don't like slow progression, but if all those things had happened, maybe a house would only cost £150,000 now. A house with one wage for five years could afford it and live and a car to get to work. You know? I don't... I, I don't know. It seems like it's a contribution of... like death by a thousand cuts, isn't it? It's all the tiny individual decisions people made because they were given the freedom to make those decisions. Suicides as high 
as it is. It's the biggest killer of men. It used to be, you know, work-related. Now it's, now it's suicide. Certainly of a certain age. And it's the younger age. It's the ones who should have the most to look forward to. But what do they have to look forward to? Comments. 